This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, and by Onyx Hunt. My guest today is Josh Miller, owner of Riverstone Kennels and the Retriever Roadmap. We'll discuss summer dog training tips and resources for do-it-yourself dog trainers, puppies and puppy development, choosing a dog trainer that's right for you, how to gain the confidence to train your own bird dog, and so, so much more in this action-filled episode. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Welcome to this week's episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank, your host, Brandon Morton, as always, is our producer. Our guest today is Josh Miller from Riverstone Kennels in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Josh, welcome back to the Flush Podcast. We appreciate you making time for us today. Oh, yeah, Travis. No, it's always good to, uh, to sit down and talk to you, and I'm uh, glad you had me back on. Well, how many puppies do you currently have in your kennel? For training or puppies? <laughs> well, if you had to add all the dogs up, do you know how many there are right now? Uh, it, it, it's a lot. You know, we are in what we call hay season, uh, which is, you know, you make hay while the sun shines, especially up here in the north, which mm-hmm. means uh, we have a full kennel for training, which for us is, isn't a big number, but 35, you know, which is, is big for us. Uh, we have, uh, I have a full crew of, I have three full-time employees. I have uh 12 part-time because of course this is a 24 seven job. There's always care. There's always cleaning. There's always things to be doing. Um, you know, so that's, that's not a big training kennel by any means, but I really, I put a major emphasis on quality over quantity. And so, uh, you know, that's plenty for us. And then for puppies, we have, uh, I think we have four or five litters on the ground right now, which is extremely abnormal for us. But, you know, we kind of, my wife and I kind of joke, my wife handles all the puppy stuff. So I shouldn't act like I'm, I'm shouldering much of that, uh, that responsibility, <laughs> but you know, her and I kind of laughed, you know, this, uh, this spring about this. It's like, you know, you know, mother nature has a really funny way of reminding us that we are not in charge of, of a lot of what we, uh, we do in our business. And so the reason that's abnormal for us to have litters like that on the ground, kind of twofold. One is that, uh, just mother nature, right? Like we can't, we can't dictate when the girls go into heat, which is when they get bred. And so mm-hmm. everything just kind of lined up at once this year. And then two, uh, the way that we do this is that, uh, our females that we breed in our breeding program, uh, they live with what we call forever homes, but you know, it's with, you know, their full-time owners. 
And oftentimes those owners being hunters don't want their dog to be gone during the fall or winter heat cycle. So naturally spring is where uh, it kind of stacks up for us. So uh, it is, it is busy, but you know, I, I love busy because it's a good busy. It's, it's not a busy, busy. It's a good busy. So we are, uh, we're loving life right now. Mm. Whitney is going straight to heaven. That is for sure. There's no she doubt. Puts up, <laughs> there's, she there's put, no she doubt. puts I, up with you. She puts up with all those puppies <laughs> and raises those children of yours too. Oh my gosh. She is, uh, she is as close to superwoman as I think you could get. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, Travis, I mean, you know, this just from spending you know, some time around her, but, um, and she just does such a fantastic job of shutting work off and being mom when she has to be mom. And, you know, of course you hear all those stories and we hear so often from people, it's like, make sure you, you don't get this time back with the kids and the time goes so mm-hmm. fast and all this. And you, we all know how true that that is. But that's one thing that I sit back and I really admire, you know, our, our alarms go off usually, you know, 3.50 or 4 a.m. And we get as much work done as we possibly can until they get up. And then once they're at school, we're grinding like crazy again. But when those kids are home, we really are trying to put on that mom and dad hat. Now, it can't always happen just naturally because sometimes, you know, with, with animals, right, when something needs, you know, when there's care that needs to be had or something needs to be taken care of, it needs to happen. But at the same side, um, that's one of the things I've admired so much about how she's handled and conducted herself through this is it's so easy to say, I'm busy, I'm busy. Well, everybody's yeah. busy, right? And we, it's not an excuse that those kids are going to understand and accept the years going forward. So dedicating that time and putting that mom hat on um, is something she does a great job at. Yeah. Well, if, if we go back a year, Whitney joined us on the show to talk about, you know, the puppies, everything that goes on with the breeding program that you guys have and, and kind of walked us through it was very interesting, and and I encourage people to go back and listen to that. You and I also did two podcasts. We talked about your journey getting into the dog training world, and then we broke down the Retriever Roadmap. So three podcasts. If listeners right now haven't listened to those, I encourage them. I encourage you to go back and do that. I mean, there's just so much information there. We're going to dig into a, a quite a bit more today, Josh, but would you mind just giving us a quick overview of the Retriever Roadmap for listeners that might not have heard that podcast? Yeah, well, so the, the quick version is, and, and I'll apologize in advance, you guys, if uh, I sound a little scratchy, my allergies are just killing me right now. It's just that time <laughs> of year. Um, yeah. But so the Retriever Roadmap, what that is, I'll kind of give you the quick version of it. Um, so it's an online training program that I created that if you want to train your own dog at home, you can do that. And I have an incredible uh, video library that is continuing you know, to grow and continue to build. And what we're doing is we're taking dogs and we're giving you step-by-step of how to, how to achieve your goals. So you go into it, identify where you want to be. And of course, that goal can change you know, throughout that dog's life and your journey with that dog. But it, it allows you to follow and kind of have a blueprint of which you know, the whole roadmap uh, you know, the methodology behind it is that you know, there's a lot of different ways to do this, right? So like if Travis and I are both trying to get from Los Angeles to New York, we may take two very different ways. You know, I may take the most direct route and take the interstate the whole way, or Travis might take you know, the, the scenic route and, and go on the country roads and, and take the time getting there. But our destination is still the same. And so um, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into training a dog, whether it's your time and availability of what you can commit to what equipment or, or property you have, what your dog's strengths and weaknesses are, what your strengths and weaknesses are. And so being able to have something that you can go at your pace and, and watch 
step by step on how to do things it's been a pretty tremendous asset and um what's cool about it for us is that we've been very intentional about taking dogs that have not gone through the training so you see the mess ups you see the screw ups and you see what a dog you know how a dog gets over it or maybe some things i've done on the fly to help the dog get over something uh, it's a pretty neat thing. And a mm-hmm. ripple to this that we have added, Travis, since uh, you and I last talked, which I think has probably became, I think it's quickly actually become my favorite part of this, is um, we, we call them STRIKE teams. So STRIKE is an acronym, which is uh, Sharing, Training, Retrievers, in Keen Excellence. And, uh, but these STRIKE teams are training groups. And so we have uh, members from literally all over the country. Uh, we have them on Literally, the uh, California on the on the uh, West Coast. We have, uh, I think it's New York, New Jersey, um, maybe Maryland. Even like we have through and Texas, like all over the place. And uh, what it does is that it offers you as a member to connect with these groups if you want to go to their training days, which gives you opportunity to meet new people, see new dogs, to test yourself and your dog and new property, you know, new elements. It's really a cool thing. And the camaraderie and the friendships that have come from this already, uh, we've only been doing this now for about three months and it's just been incredible. And so the community aspect of it is really special. I think why it's so special to me is that this was never really my intent. You know, my intent was as we grew at Riverstone, as we grew as a business, we got more and more long distance clients sending dogs in for training. You know, they, I mean, the number of dogs that get flown in for, for training nowadays is pretty incredible. And even if they're not flying, most of the time it is long distance. It's very rare for us to have a dog that is quite frankly, inside an hour of a drive, which is, is challenging from our standpoint, because training the people is always so much more difficult than training the dog. Itself. Right. Right. And yeah. uh, so how do you do that? Right. And so when you have a phone call with someone, it's hard because unless the person on the other end is interpreting what you're trying to describe in the right way, they're likely not going to go be successful. So we just started doing videos, right? So we do like private YouTube channels, do a video, send it. And, you know, we, we started getting more and more phone calls from people that, you know, they, they, their dog wasn't in for training, but they want help. And so they'd ask me questions like, how do we do this? Well, it's really hard because for me to help you with this question, I need to know what you did for the five steps leading up to this. You know, are we right. speaking the same language or did you do something differently than I did? Well, now, you know, with the video library, you know, I'm able to refer people over to me. Like, look, watch these videos. If you're not here, maybe there's some stuff you need to do beforehand. And it's just been so successful with helping people go through. I think nowadays we're all very visual learners because of what we've been trained to do, whether it's our phones or the computers or you know, just naturally on you know, social media, whatever you want you know, to say you know, being visual is something that we have really become accustomed to. And so having a video library to watch and walk through this has been great, but that community has been really special. So I uh, never intended it, you know, to grow to what it is here today, but, uh, but I'm really proud of it. It's something that, uh, that I, I really enjoy. It's been a cool part of our business. Yeah. I've, I've seen a, a couple of the videos and I looked at the retriever roadmap and I mean, it's so a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'm at this seminar and I tried to really bring out the goosebumps, the wow, the incredible moments that we experience. I failed miserably trying to explain it with words. But if you were there and you saw it, you're like, holy crap, to watch a dog just transform in front of your eyes, you know, that is amazing. To explain it in words is very challenging. So the videos that you have, 
are very important for people to to say, yep, okay, that makes sense because you see it. Um, you know, and I think having that community, like you just mentioned, is also important because when I look at whether it's my dogs or my kids, I have this connection to them. I have these feelings, emotions attached to it. Somebody else coming in, they can look at something and be like, oh, it's doing this and here's why. And it's very plain for somebody else to point it out. So the more people that you trust that you can that you can work with and and train with or spend time with, they'll be able to just, you know, hopefully bluntly just say, here's what I see and why, you know, so there's a lot of value in having that community there too. Um, yeah, you're so right. You know, the, the emotion, when you take emotion out of it, it's always you know, much clearer, you know, to see yep. what, to what you need to see. But the other side of it too, Travis is, you know, I kind of looked back on, on my time, you know, apprenticing and training under these great guys that had the, uh, the opportunity and quite frankly, the fortune, you know, to be able to train under. And how did I learn? I watched, you know, I watched these guys communicate with the dogs and I watched what they did and I watched them, you know, they're zeroing in. Like you watch someone that's very talented with the dog. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, they just zero in and they, they have this way of like, they're reading the dog and watching what they're doing. The dog's communicating to them. They're communicating to the dog. It's really a fun thing to watch, but that's how I learned so much was watching them. So now we have the opportunity in these group trainings to everybody can watch other people and go, oh my gosh, there's always something to take away. I mean, if you, if you ever get around somebody that believes there's only one way to do something with the dog and that's the only way, I just have a hard time thinking that they have the experience, you know, because if, if you take a truly educated dog person that has been through your know, multiple dogs and has seen the process and seen the, and been around it at all, they know like no matter what situation, good or bad, there's always something to take away from it, whether it's what to do or what not to do or how to communicate or how not to communicate. There's always something to learn. So you as a handler, it is always important you know, to get that, that exposure. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a special thing, man, for sure. It is. And I think, you know, you're talking retriever roadmap here. Well, but you've also trained pointing breeds and a variety of breeds, you know, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of fundamentals that apply to all breeds, regardless of which training method you decide to go with. Um, you know, you specifically working with train with uh, retrievers right now, how much of that differs from what you did when you first started training a setter however long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there, there's certainly a lot of differences, but there's so many similarities too. So like you take retriever roadmap and I, I probably misnamed the program um, because the, the program applies to every dog up into the specific retriever stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not asking, you know, my setter to sit on my side and be steady on retrieves, right? It's just, it's a little different of a process. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as the fundamentals go, like, you know, as far as like our, our obedience, that's across the board, you know, our, our socialization, our puppy, how, how we find the right, the right dog, um, you know, Gundy sensitization. There's so many things that we do in the same manner that it's really for any dog or any breed that not even necessarily a gun dog. You know, if you just want um, great obedience at home, well, shoot, let's just go through the obedience section. And uh, that's the reason that we made it as affordable as we did. And that's the reason that we made it uh, to be where you, know, you can pause you know, or, or start anytime you want to, because certain people just need it at certain times. And so um, it, it's really been a cool program. It's been something that's been fun to watch. It's been fun to watch um, you know, this, this community develop. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, this Travis, but I do, I severely uh, miss 
my time field trialing my pointing dog. So I loved that time of, of my life, my career. But at some mm-hmm. point, especially when you add kids into the mix, at some point you have to narrow down uh, your which direction you're running 100 miles an hour. And you can only go five directions instead of 10 now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And you still have to have a little bit of time for yourself too. I know you were out west standing in the flowing waters chasing fish on the fly a couple of days ago, which um, that's important too. I mean, you just have to be able to balance life. You can't do everything all the time. So I, I get that. But, you know, getting back to the dogs itself, um, you and I were on this panel with Onyx a couple of weeks ago talking about a variety of dog breeds. And is there a, I don't know, Josh, what was the title of that panel, that discussion that we did? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I think it was, um, which breed is best or wasn't it something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And it's interesting because, you know, so many people have their favorites and I keep going back to what I've seen in the field, you know, being in this position, hunting with different people, different dogs in different places, you know, like most people don't have the opportunity to see a variety of dogs. Like they're, they have their dog that they hunt with might have two or three buddies that they hunt with. Sometimes it's the same dog out of the same litter that, you know, my, they each got a dog and they train their puppies together. I mean, that's common. And they might have one other breed or two other breeds, but they don't really see a, a variety of them. So it's interesting talking with people that have their hands on a lot of breeds and hunt together. I always said, if you put 10 different dogs in the field and 10 different breeds and just stood there and watched, you'd be amazed and what you'd learn about a different dog breed and their style and how some of them hunt and how some of them um, will go out and, and cover just huge amounts of ground. And inevitably, there's some dogs that just like, if, if there's 10 birds found, one dog is finding like nine of them. Like that's just my experience. And so I have seen a lot of that, but I'm always amazed that regardless everyone's dog is the best dog. <laughs> you know, like It all comes down to them and like, wow, yeah, but you haven't hunted with my dog. And I'm like, I don't know. I, if I put that heat-seeking missile of a, of a setter next to this lab and you're out in the open prairie, that setter is, sorry, it's going to find 90% of the birds because it's just, mm-hmm. it's running differently and they hunt differently. You know, so it's the application and the bird that you're after and the places you hunt. But man, the discussion can get heated and it's it's very interesting. I just always like to say, if you've seen a variety of dogs, you can appreciate their strengths. And they all have their strengths and they all have their weaknesses. And that's the reality, right? That's exactly right. And you know, the one thing no one wants to talk about is their dog's weakness. You know, and yeah. I actually just talked to a guy here this morning that called me and was like, Hey, you know, I have two buddies that have dogs from you. They're, they're fantastic. I love them. I want to talk to you about getting on the list. You tell me about their sires. And so I told him about, you know, the sires. And one of the things I did is I talked about all of their weaknesses and afterwards, and you know, I do this all the time. I don't even think about it, but yeah, afterwards he's like, you know, you're the only breeder I've ever talked to that tells that told me what was wrong with each of their dogs as far as like what the dog's weaknesses were. And he's like, some of these weaknesses, man, like they're, some of them are a big deal to me and some of them are not, you know, but it's nice to know that side of it. And the reality is that all of our dogs have weaknesses. 
all of our dogs have faults just like us. And, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe some of us have a hard time, you know, putting our ego aside to, uh, to accept that, but it's the truth. And every one of our dogs is going to have that area that they excel in. You know, it's like if you took the offensive lineman and you took the, you know, 400 meter sprinter, right? You put both of them on an offensive line. There's one of those that are going to excel, right? And then you put both of them back on the track. The other one is going to excel because they are built differently. And so you put the, the, the dog that was bred to do what they do in their element. There's nothing better to watch than that. And, you know, sometimes I think uh, we all like to look at our dogs with closed car glasses on. I think that's, that, that, that's a natural thing, right? We all love you know, to talk mm-hmm. about our dogs, how great our dogs are. But if you, if you have the opportunity to step back and watch a dog do what they were bred to do in the environment in which they were bred to do it in, it is a fantastic thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm a lab guy, I'm a retriever guy, right? And I love, you know, I love doing that. But I mean, watching, watching the setter run in the open prairie, that's a fun thing to watch, right? Mm-hmm. And then you watch, you know, I've been fortunate enough to you know, run hounds on coons. Fun thing to watch, right? Like in their element. And it's always yep. to, to each their own, right? They all have their own game. They all have their own strengths and weaknesses. But, um, you know, I think, I think so many of us get so pinned on that there's one breed. And this is the best breed. And I'm going to, I'm going to you know, draw a line in the sand and I'll fight to the death on, on defending that. But, you know, there's the right breed for you. And I think that's quite frankly what we all have to kind of dig down to is what is the right breed for you? Mm-hmm. I think lately there's been just this, you know, like this trend that a lot of people want this dog that'll kind of do it all. You know, the let's let's call it um, uh, a German wire hair, right? Mm-hmm. A dog that a lot of people think that will do it all. It'll it'll point, it'll get out there and 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 hunt, but it'll also or hunt upland birds, cover some terrain, but it'll also sit in the blind with you. It'll go out and retrieve birds out of water. Like it's this do it all dog. When when people say, I want that dog. Do you, do you encourage that? Do you say, um, maybe, maybe let's take a step back and here's why. I mean, what's your advice when, well, maybe not advice, but, or your reaction to that? Because I hear it all the time, all the time where they're like, "Ah, I want to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And, And the reason I bring it up is because sometimes if you want a dog that'll do a little bit of everything, it doesn't necessarily do what you want it to do very well. Is, is that, do you feel an accurate view? Yeah, I, I think that's spot on Travis, because I think naturally there's so many of us nowadays that, that do a little of both, right? Do a little upland hunting, do a little waterfall hunting. Of course, dog is a big reason why a lot of us are out there. So you want the mm-hmm. dog to go do it with you. And, um, you know, but, but I also think that perspective and having the right expectations is very important in this because if you get a dog, you know, like you'd mentioned, that is is kind of you know sold as the dog that can do it all. Okay. Well, your expectation has to be that in the retriever side of it, he's not a Labrador. And on the pointing dog side of it, he's not an English pointer or an English setter, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. you, you like for me. Yeah, this is the analogy. It's probably a bad analogy, but it's the one that I came up with on the top of my head one day, and I've never come up with a better one. Is uh, yeah, I I I don't take 
the front end of a Corvette and the back end of a Super Duty and be like, look, I have the <laughs> ultimate vehicle. It does everything, right? <laughs> yeah, and right. and you know, the, the truth of it is, is that these dogs are, are built that same way. Now, with that being said, because I know that there's someone cussing at me right now you know, uh-huh. over, uh, over the radio because I have trained some fantastic versatile dogs that have done a very good job at what they have to go do. Um, in my field trial days, one of my best dogs that I ever had uh, on my string, so I had a ranger who was a, he's a setter. He is a setter, I should say. That. All these dogs are still alive. Um, Ranger's an English setter. And I had a dog named Pancake, which was a client dog. I did not name Pancake, <laughs> but he was a client dog. And <laughs> no uh, I'm telling you, yeah, right. Uh, so I'm telling you, those two dogs, when they went to a trial, it was for a while there, it wasn't, you know, if one of them was winning, it was which one of those two was going to win that day. And it was like first and second, the second and first. It was one of those two. It was a really fun thing for me to be a part of. I legitimately had pros come up to me and say, if I saw one of those two dogs on the premium, I just dropped out because it wasn't worth my time. It was a really fun time in my career because I got wow. to take credit for both of those dogs and how special they were. Um, but so like Pancake, he, he was a dog that his strength was more the pointing dog side. He would retrieve but it wasn't something he loved to do, right? Where Ranger had zero interest in retrieving. He wasn't bred for that. He, now, he, he was a true pointer. He went and did his job. He did a fantastic. He had no interest in it. Pancakes would do both, but he was much stronger as a pointing dog than a retriever. And so what I tend to do with these dogs that are, are coming in as versatile breeds that come in, they're like, hey, I want to do both. I really try to focus on that pointing dog side of the first because that is that natural instinct side. If they don't, you know, for, for any of you guys that are listening and maybe don't have the background with pointers, you're, you're not going to teach a pointing dog to point if they don't have it, at least not well, right? That's, that is a natural instinct that something mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and so on put into that dog. It is a natural instinct. For retrieve, we can work with the dog's mouth and manufacture that a little bit. So I always put an emphasis on that genetic, bringing that side out of them, solidifying that point and, and that side of the first because I always know that I can clean up that retrieve later on where the point, if they don't have it, they don't have it. Um, so that, that's how where I tend to lean you know, as we kind of go through that, that process with those versatile breeds. But mm-hmm. then, you know, for me, again, the biggest thing is, is it's all expectations. You know, if you have the right expectations, I think a versatile breed is going to be fantastic for you. If you have the wrong expectations where you are getting a Labrador and a English pointer wrapped into one, that's where people get disappointed is because that naturally those dogs are likely going to fall short of that. Yeah. Um, when, uh, let's, let's, let's go to the puppies. So whichever breed somebody decides to go with, I believe, and I've been told this by several dog trainers, I'm guessing you're probably likely agree here. The puppy development stage is by far the most important or critical stage of that dog's life because everything you teach and train will build from that point, regardless of their breed. Would you agree? It's by far, by far the most crucial point of it, because whether it's bringing out, you know, those natural instincts we just talked about, whether Mm -hmm. it's proper socialization, whether it is proper gun desensitization, whether it's proper bird introduction, whether it's proper crate training. I mean, you can't go back and fix this stuff, right? So like if you screw up the gun introduction, like you can't just go like, oh, we'll try it again next week. Like that is going to stick with that dog. If you go through, and this is, this was the hardest part that we had through COVID was people were like, well, I got this puppy, but I can't go socializing. Well, that's not an answer. 
right? Because at the time, you know, we didn't know when we were going to come out of this thing, right? To where we would tell everybody the same thing. Look, you can't wait six months or six years because again, we didn't know, right? It's kind of funny yeah. looking back on it now, but we didn't know. So it's like, you can't just wait until all of a sudden you can bring the dog out in public or get around people again. You have to get creative. You have to get this figured out because this will stick with this dog for the rest of their life. And so, so it's, a, it's a small point of time to capture and you have to focus on it. And it starts immediately when you bring your dog home. That's the thing where I think people are like, wow, we're just gonna, we're just gonna love on the puppy. And yes, that's part of it. But there are also some fundamentals that need to be established right away because it just, everything happens so quickly. And I've even learned with friends that recently got puppies, just how quickly things have been missed in the steps. So where do you begin with a puppy and at what age? Well, we're starting with the puppy the second we bring that puppy home, just like what you had mentioned. And yep. now again, expectations are a big part of this, right? So when we bring a puppy home at eight weeks old, we're not going to, you know, start trying to teach the dog to be steady and start, you know, hand signals, right? Like, yeah, I know, right. I know that's kind of a joke and it's funny, but it's amazing how often, you know, we hear people like, Hey, my dog's five months old. We're already starting hand signals. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we're, we're dealing with a kindergartner. Let's make sure we're, we're coloring inside the lines here, right? We're not trying to teach algebra yet. And, um, going at a dog's pace is very important, not only from a, a teaching side of it, but also from a foundation side of it. You know, a lot of what we just talked about, Travis, that is foundation. And you cannot build a house on a weak foundation. So oftentimes when people get into the more advanced work, no matter if it's pointing dogs or retrievers, when they get into the more advanced work and they're having problems or struggles, a lot of times you can backtrack into something that wasn't done really well on the foundational side of things. And they have to go back and, and go through it. Uh, for retrievers, when we talk about... Um, I'm just kind of uh, whistle sit. Let's talk about whistle sit. Okay. So when I, when I hit a whistle at a hundred yards and I'm like, Hey, the bird's actually more to your right. When I hit that whistle, I expect that the dog turns, looks at me and I can give them a direction to where I want them to go. If your dog will not sit at your side every single time, you cannot expect that your dog is now going to sit at a hundred yards, right? Like the foundation, it's, it's, it's just advanced obedience is all it really is. And so it's the boring stuff. And I think this is where social media has kind of lulled us all into, hey, we only want to do the stuff that is fun and show it off and impress people. There's nothing impressive about doing obedience. I promise you, you do it every single day. There's nothing impressive about it, but it is what makes the impressive stuff possible. I love my dog. And like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. 
Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. So give us a, if you can, like a checklist that goes, that you take through your puppy stage when a when you bring the, let's say you, I know you have all these puppies there, but let's say you're bringing one home. What do you, what do you begin to build that foundation? Well, the, the two biggest things that we're going to start with is uh, socialization, which is very important. And when I say so- socialization, I don't just mean getting the dog out around people. I mean, introducing them to things the right way, right? So um, this could be, bringing them to, you know, the local hardware store, or it could be bringing them to your know, family's house or relative's house, things like that. Right. Um, but doing it in the right way. And what I mean by that is that we have 4th of July coming up. If you have a young puppy, don't bring them over to socialize. If there's going to be fireworks going on to where you could set yourself back in, in the gun introduction part or create gun China, right. Um, doing it in the right way. Having a new dog or uh, introduction to dog, don't bring this puppy around a dog that you know is defensive or aggressive, right? Just because it's a dog doesn't mean it's the right dog to socialize with. You'll get the dog around someone that you know, you can ease into it, maybe at a neutral site so the, the, you know, the older dog maybe is a little uh, defensive. There's a lot of things you can do to do things the right way. Uh, water introduction. Don't throw the dog off the, off the dock and be like, hey, swim, figure it out. You know, like ease into it. So socializing um, from a broad spectrum is really important in doing things the right way and going at the right pace. And then tree training. You know, tree training is something that we don't like to rely on for a crazy long time because it is easy for the dog to can just get food driven, right? But at that mm-hmm. young age, we are working with a preschooler. So I have a two and a half year old son. We've got a four-year-old daughter. We do this all the time, right? Like if I want to go do something, like if I want to take some fishing, so these two, these two kids are infatuated with fishing because when we go fishing, we go out for a half hour, we catch 15 crappies. They're excited. They're ecstatic. And then we go back, right? Like I'm not taking them out for a half day excursion to where they're, they're hot, they're tired. They want to be done. I'm over it because they're never going to want to go again. Right. Same thing for a young puppy. I'm trying to capture the attention span that they have, which is very, very short, make a little progress to let them be a puppy. And we'll come back uh, maybe at noon, do the same thing. Maybe we'll do something else you know, before dinner time. But, but having the right expectation that way is important too. You're not going to go do you know, two half hour training sessions with an eight old puppy. It's just not going to happen. So you know, having the right expectation, putting the dog in a situation to succeed and then going at their pace. And every dog is going to be different this way. Some dogs are going to mature faster. Some dogs are going to mature slower. 
So there's never going to be a, hey, week one, do this, week two, do this, week three, do this. You really have to be able to read your dog and go at your, your pace on this. Question about the learning or maturing stages. Are there breeds that you've seen? I know people don't want to hear this, but are there breeds that you've seen that mature quicker or slower? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I know. Uh, so Rick Smith, uh, who I know, you know, uh, well, Travis and Rick has been mm-hmm. a, a great mentor of mine, great friend of mine. Um, you know, he always said that his favorite breed, or I shouldn't say favorite because I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but his go-to breed for a long time was a Brittany. And he had always told me that Britneys are slow maturing. And, um, you know, I think uh, from my experience, you know, Weimaraners and Bichelas can often, you know, be that way. Um, you know, but it's not even just breed specific, you know. So for me, you know, I have in my, my stud dogs I use for my breeding program, you know, there's one of those dogs in particular that he throws dogs or puppies rather that naturally develop slower. And, and I'm not saying like, you know, what some dogs are at six months, you know, those puppies are two years, right? But like, you know, maybe, maybe 16 months versus 12, right? The slower developing. And the hardest part with him is that he's probably the most impressive dog that I have. And so when people see him, they're like, oh my gosh, that's what I want. And then I'm like, hey, you're really gonna have to go slow with this. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to go slow, right? And it's just one of those things that, you know, some dogs and some lines are going to develop in certain ways. But how you handle that as a handler oftentimes dictates the success of that puppy in the long term. It's interesting. What my journey with with Daisy, you know, she just has this insane prey drive, but harnessing it and getting her to fully understand her role in our pack, just it just took longer than I thought. And you know, George Lyle, our mutual friend, he and I worked with her, and he's like, she just. I'm watching his 11 month old. English pointer, just rock solid. You could take that dog anywhere. 11 months. And here I've got a two-year-old and the two-year-old is, is continuing to just do the same thing over and over. And I'm like, how long is it going to take? And George's like, some dogs just take longer. You might have another year before it finally clicks for it. Fortunately, it clicked quarter of the way through last season and she just turned it on. Um, but I watched you, like I said, 11 month old puppies hunting and behaving like a six year old veteran in the field. And I'm like, I want that. (laughs) That's what I want. I want it right now. And I know I'm not alone. Everybody wants it right now, but I think you, your, your point is valid, Josh, in that, or maybe it's just a good reminder that each dog can mature at its own pace. Right. That's right. Well, and and the thing that I think I'd like to just you solidify with everybody is that if you're in a situation that a dog is going slower, maybe you identified your dog as maybe slow maturing, that's not a negative thing. Don't look at that as a bad thing, right? Oftentimes, like you look at kids, and this is a great way to look at this. Oftentimes, the kids that are the all stars of the sports teams in fifth and sixth grade, sometimes they're not even on the team come varsity time, right? Yeah, they mm-hmm. grew fast, they developed faster early on, but those, those kids that develop you know, over time, maybe they, they didn't lean on this early natural gift as much. So they worked more on their craft. Maybe they got more detail oriented, or maybe they just, you know, there's so many things that go into it. And I find that people that understand and accept that my dog is, is developing a little slower and take my time long-term oftentimes end up with a better dog because they buy into the process. They go at the dog's pace. And then they continue to work. You know, sometimes if you have a dog that's off to a rock solid start and like flies through things, 
sometimes people like kick their feet back at a year old and like, look, my dog's done. Well, all of a sudden at four years old, you're looking around going like, how did, how did so-and-so surpass him? Like he was way further ahead because they've been working on it. And uh, so I think it's, it's, it's a good just reality check. That's not a bad thing. And, and I oftentimes like when people are like, oh, my dog's taking a little longer because I know that at the end of the day, there's going to be so much, uh, so much satisfaction in that where they got because of that time. And uh, it, it's a fun thing to watch from afar. Yeah. We talked about your retriever roadmap do-it-yourself dog training and highly encourage people to do that. Um, I think sometimes people are just intimidated or maybe don't have the confidence to work with their own dogs because they're afraid they're going to ruin the dog. How do people, I know confidence comes from experience and time, but how do you help people gain confidence in what they're doing when it comes to working with dogs? That is that was probably the million dollar question <laughs> as we yeah, were developing yeah. specifically as we're like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna open this up to everybody. Anybody can get into this program now. It was like, well, shoot, how do we make sure that the people themselves are are prepared, right? Because the way that I look at this is that you are the coach of the team, right? And if you don't know what you're coaching, how can your students or players ever get to the level in which you're wanting them to be? And so the first, uh, the first module in that program, in Retrieval Roadmap, is train the trainer. So we're working with you. So we go through reading your dog. We go through expectations on how you should manage those. We go through you know, the this, this step-by-step side to make it to where you are confident in yourself. Now, of course, the more you do this, the more confident you're going to be, right? Just naturally because you have the, expo- the exposure and the experience. But it's, uh, it's the, probably the biggest part and probably the most feedback that I've gotten off of it of people loving the program is from that right there because like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize how much, you know, I'm a factor in this, right? Well, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's kind of in your face and like an aha moment when you look back and like, gosh, like, yeah, of course I'm a big part of this. Um, but then there's a lot of ownership that goes into it too, right? So if, if your life is crazy, as oftentimes it is, and you have you know, kids having baseball games and dance recitals and all this stuff going on, and you don't have the time to dedicate to your dog, and then you know, summer flies by and you're at hunting season again, like, if your dog's not prepared, that's not the dog's fault, right? Like, it, the reality is that w- they're a product in their environment. They are going to be what we, get, you know, what we build them into. So we need to take the ownership in that. Now, if, if our year was crazy busy and we didn't get you know, to where we wanted to, that's okay. Right? We have to accept that and move on to it. But then our expectations for that season need to match that. So if our goal was you know, to be running blind retreats with our dog and we didn't have the time to put into it so we didn't get there, like we can't be frustrated in that moment that, that we need the dog to go do that because the dog's not ready for it. Right? And so managing your own expectations and how you perceive you know, the dog, I think is a big part in people and their perception of if the dog is being successful or not. Yeah, and I and the hard thing too for a, somebody training their own dog is the confidence side of it. Is that what they're working on is developing something that could take months, weeks, months, or years to fully come to fruition. And then once you get to that point, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it totally worked. But in the moment, that's where the hard the challenge comes from. Is like, is this working? Is it ha- like, do I trust this? So I always tell people, you know, like, Josh, I have you on the show because I trust you. I know that your information is excellent. It's solid. It's sound. And people that listen, 
hopefully hear that in what you're saying. If they choose, let's say, to go and look at the Retriever Roadmap or they choose to hire you as a trainer, the goal is for them to have a dog that they love to live life with and to hunt with. That's a goal of our conversation every week is to try to help people. And you have to trust somebody. So once you finally get to the point where you're saying, all right, this is the way I'm going to go, you got to trust it. You kind of have to stick with it, I think, because there's so many ways you could waver. You don't want to do that. And the dog doesn't, You the dog needs a confident leader. So you got to trust whichever program you're going with and then see it through before you can find out if that was the right one or not. That's why, you know, like I, I trust what I've seen with the people I've hunted with. I can look at their dogs and be like, that dog? Yes, that's what I want. How did you get there? Take me step by step through it. Whether that's the Huntsmith method or the method we just talked about um, the last few weeks was Sonny Picars and Jordan Wells or the Retriever Roadmap with you. These are all sound, proven uh, training programs that have worked. And I hope people trust the information that we're, we're giving out there right now, um, because you have to trust it and you have to see it from start to finish before you can gain that confidence. It's, it's, it's just something you got to see to believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, first off, appreciate the kind words that, uh, yeah, that means a lot coming from me and, and like Travis is the same thing with you guys. So one of the reasons I enjoy talking with you guys so much is like you know, between you and, and Brandon, who I know is uh, kind of behind the scenes here that people may not uh, get to hear from, but you guys run this very professionally, right? So when I, when I show up, it's not this, you know, crackerjack thing. It's not like a, a half put together. You guys are thorough, you're professional, things are timely, things are put together and not all podcasts are like this, believe it or not. And, uh, and I've been on the other side of two where you're like, what in the world is going on? And this is just not efficient. This is not, well, the thing with the dogs are that we never know exactly what we're getting in. Okay. So, um, somebody calls me and is interested in sending their dog in for training. Naturally, as you should, they should be, they're asking me a bunch of questions right? Mm-hmm. Ask me about the facility, ask me about my background, ask me about my credentials, ask me about, um, you know, shoot, there's always, there's always things, especially dedicated to what they are passionate about or what they find important, right? Well, after we're all done with that, I ask them questions, which I do believe should be done, right? So like if, if you're you know, talking to a trainer, I think they should be asking you questions too, because like for me, we have, uh, we have a tremendous demand, you know, to get in for training, which I'm really proud of. You know, I, I think hopefully, you know, our reputation proceeds us that way and, and what we, or what I've been able to do and accomplish and, and build our business into. But the way that I see it is that I don't need clients. I need the right clients. And what I mean by that is that when someone bets me out and it's like, all right, sounds good. I feel good. I want to send my dog in for training. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like, let me ask you some questions. And the one thing that I really try to, to hammer home is the trust side of it that you just talked about, Travis, because the reality is that unless you trust me, unless oftentimes it's, it's the husband, if there's a relationship to talk to me, unless your wife trusts me, unless your kids trust me, unless your family trusts where your dog is, this is not going to be a fun experience because naturally you guys have a bad day. The family's going to start missing the dog, which is going to stress you out, which in then turn is going to be an email or a phone call you know, to me, which is going to stress me out which all, you know, like our relationship isn't what it could be. Now, when you start to add timelines around that, now it becomes increasingly more difficult, right? Because if I say something's going to be done in, in six weeks and then I call you at week 
five, I'm like, hey, man, like, it's actually going to take a little more time to go through this real slow. That's where stuff can really get front. Now, if you trust me, no problem, right? And so that's mm-hmm. why I always invite people to come out. Come meet me in person. Come meet my team in person. Shake our hands. Look us in the eye. Come see our facility. Do a complete walkthrough. Come see us work with some, like, do your due diligence because unless you are fully into this, it's never going to be what we need it to be. And ultimately, we are not building a house. Like, we're not moving one rock, a you know, rock from one side of the yard to the other. Like, weather is a factor, you know, for us big time. We have uh, development, you know, every dog is, you know, different strengths and weaknesses wise. What bad habits are we inheriting that we don't know about yet when we get into it that we're going to have to overcome and work for? We are going to do as absolute best job as we can with, with every single dog that comes in. You might get a dog that goes home early. You might get a dog that needs to stay a little late. But what I'm asking is if you trust me, I'm going to trust you. We're going to do this together and you know, we're going to get the best result. Um, and, and that's always kind of been the, the best MO for us is that when we go into those, our relationships are so much better and stronger. The dogs turn out so much better. It's, it's, it's one of those things you do you know, need to buy into for sure. Yeah. I've seen, uh, I have a friend that took a dog into a trainer years ago and dog came home. Tail is always tucked between her legs. Um, very timid, very different dog than when he dropped her off. And it's just, it's just eye-opening for me to see that. Um, so I'm not, I don't want for you and I to have discussions about other dog trainers, but I do think it's important for people to find a dog trainer that's right for them and ask the right questions. What questions should people be asking a dog trainer if they're planning to have their dog professionally trained? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think um, a few things that people should be asking about right away are uh, first off, facilities, right? Because not all facilities are created equal. And oftentimes the care in which your dog is in is going to be around those facilities, right? So, um, you know, like our facility at Riverstone, that building was put up for the kennel, literally from scratch all the way up, built for the kennel. Um, you know, we have AC in the wintertime, we have indoor heat summer, or I'm sorry, <laughs> we have AC in the summertime, uh, you know, in for in the wintertime. Um, we have a commercial grade air exchange system. Like everything is, is made for those dogs to be very comfortable. The reality is, is that when you send your dog away, and for most of us, that dog is a member of the family. Like, you want to make sure that that dog is being taken care of first and foremost. Like the number one priority that I have with every single dog is that they are happy and healthy when they come in. They're happy and healthy when they leave. Even if every bit of the training failed, it doesn't, but even if it did, right, I want that to be the number one priority because at the end of the day, that's the biggest thing. That you want that same happy, healthy family member to come home that you, that you sent in. And the hardest part about this to me is that I think increasingly so because of social media, um, it just seems like there's more, there's more trainers and there's more breeders kind of overnight than ever before. And the reality is, is that with this business, there's no credentials, there's no diploma, there's no degree, there's nothing that says, hey, this person is qualified, this isn't. So it's really up to you. And um, I really like uh, the recommendation side of it to, you know, if you know someone that has gone through the, the trainer, the training can vouch for them, can talk you know, uh, highly about them, because there are a lot of very, very talented trainers out there. Um, you know, that, that's always the best route to go. You know, cold calling people can be very tough because you just don't quite know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So doing your due diligence is important. And that's not always just over the phone with the questions that you ask, but you're kind of that research behind the scenes too. Yeah. Are there any red flags that you would warn people about when they're doing that research? 
You know, I, I think the red flags to me come from more of what is it that you are looking for, right? So, um, like for me, so even though I I still do hunt test, um, yeah, I, as you know, Travis, I have yeah that field trial background. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not what I tell people that that's my what I'm training for, right? And so, similar thing, right? I have a good friend of mine that that's what he does. He field trials. That's all he does. That's all he wants to do. Field trial, right? Well, if I was a guy that was a hunter and I hunt 20, 30 days a year, and I want a duck dog, I'm probably not sending it to my buddy who I adore. By the way, I was in his wedding. He's a fantastic person. Like I love him to death. But I'm probably not sending him to him because like why? Like the field trial stuff isn't what I'm looking for, right? I'm looking for a guy that hunts that understands what I'm looking for, right? Because my buddy, like he doesn't hunt, like he used to hunt all the time. He's just eating up with the game now. So he's tunnel focused on this is what I'm going for, which is oftentimes going to be different than what me as a hunter, than what I'm looking for in my dog. And so that philosophy, I think does carry over. I mean, if, if you're a hunter, you want to be with someone that, that is a hunter and has a hunting background at the same side. I don't want to just send them to a trainer that it, you know, that maybe has very limited experience, but I'm a hunter. And I've, I've trained a couple of dogs myself and I'll train your dog too. Right. Because that oftentimes mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you learn an apprentice from under people, you know, like I had, you know, when I was growing up, you not only learn the training side of it, but you understand and learn the business side of it, which is so important. I think too oftentimes people become trainers or breeders because it's their hobby and they want to turn it into their business, not a, a business. Right. And so they run it as a hobby. Well, you as the consumer, the customer in this case, you do want to run as a business. I know, I know it's an emotional thing and you want it to be touchy feely and you want it to, to feel right. Right. But you want to be taken care of. You want the communication to be prompt. You want to be kept up to date on things. You want to follow through. You want to, yeah, like you do, you don't normally get that if it's a hobby. And so it's just one of those things that I, I want to make sure that people can see that side of it too, because I think, especially because of the dog side of it, um, you know, sometimes there's a thought of like, Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to send it to, you know, so-and-so that trains one dog on the side and that kind of, but yeah. And I'm not saying that that's bad, right? Because you might find the right person that does that. But generally speaking, we see too many horror stories come into the kennel that they, they sent a dog somewhere. It was a complete nightmare. You know, everything kind of like what you described sometimes worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is legitimately heartbreaking for me. When I have a for family sure. come in oftentimes with tears in their eyes as they're telling me the story of it. And it's like, you know, probably the most pride that I have is when I can flip those cases. But even then you're sitting there like, what would you have been if you didn't go through that, that experience? Right. I mean, they're just, you don't want to get caught up in that nightmare of a situation uh, for your family's sake, for your dog's sake. There are just too many things. So um, yeah, that open line of communication is always important. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're just about out of time here, uh, today, but I, I think what I want to do, and, and I think the reason why, you know, our conversation today didn't get into the, the very specifics of, you know, how to train your dog to sit, to heal, to fetch, to, you know, do these different things. Like we didn't break down each step of the program. Um, I just want people to think big picture, you know, and I, you do a great job of explaining it. You articulate it very well, Josh. They can learn more by seeing it, the program that you've created. So I think, you know, if people want to see a lot of the um, different steps that you walk through with the retriever, retrieving road or the retriever roadmap, 
they can go online and see that. Um, but as far as summer training, which is where we're at right now, puppies and training and summer training for your experienced dogs. What are a couple of things that you like to tell people, Hey, I've sent this, I've trained this dog. This dog is, you know, been a great hunter, great family dog, four years old now, six years old, eight years old. What are some things when they call and say, Hey, what should I be working on with my dog now? I just want to keep him, keep her in game shape and ready for the hunting season. What do you tell them? Well, oftentimes what it comes down to is identifying what a goal could be for you, right? So every dog is going to be different. Every person is going to be different. But if you reflect on last season, where were some pitfalls? Where were some, some shortcomings? Yeah, you know, was there that retrieve? You're like, ah, we just can't do that. Or was there that, that situation was like, oh, that wasn't great, but I'm going to let it go because we're in the middle of the season, right? Those issues or those, those, um, those troubles, they tend to compound over the season. And hunting season naturally unravels training season, at least to an mm-hmm. extent. Like if everyone's honest with themselves, it does. Because you go from training where everything is controlled, your undivided attention on the dog, you know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, when it should happen, what it should look like, and you can control all that. You go hunting it is the exact opposite. It is completely uncontrolled. And so <laughs> right. as you get into that, you know, it's natural that the birds are going to be a big factor, right? Your hunting party is going to be a big factor. The other dogs are going to be, there's, a, there's so many things. Other dogs in the field are a huge yeah. factor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So when you get into that, it's one of those things that naturally you are going to have things to work on. And, and what happens is like early, so we're, you know, first part of June right now, if you have a couple of those goals, you have think October, right? Like I have until October, I can break this stuff down. I can backtrack, I can clean up and I can progress forward. If all of a sudden you find, or you listen to this and now it's August or September and you're having that, I'm going to call it the, Oh shoot moment. Like, Oh shoot. <laughs> it's, you know, season starts next month and I'm not ready. Way to keep it don't family tr- friendly. I like it. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't, don't try to do everything, right? Own it. Hey, I screwed up. You know, maybe not a fault of your own. Maybe it was, right? But hey, that, that's on me. But instead of doing all of this, let's really focus on this piece of it. Let's get back into conditioning. Let's, let's work on being steady. Let's, let's focus on one part of it. Know that we're not going to get everything done. Have the right expectations. Because if you try to jam a summer's worth of training into three, four weeks, you're going to stress yourself out. You're going to stress your dog out. You're going to move backwards. It's just not going to be a, a great relationship builder or a productive you know, training you know, time. So slow down, accept what you have you know, in front of you, and then just make the best of it. Make lemonade out of lemons. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, let's just take a step back and make the best of it. Right on. If people want to learn more about the Retriever Roadmap, where do they go? Well, if you can find us on uh, retrieverroadmap.com, and we actually kind of have a little uh, gift for you guys. And this is all because I love Travis and what he's doing so much that, uh, that I wanted to get this you know, for you guys. So uh, if you're interested in the program, uh, if you purchase it and you type in the code FLUSH23, you will get $100 off to get into that program. Um, yeah, I, what a I, guy. Travis, I, yeah, Travis, what a I, guy. I'm serious, you didn't man. have to do that. <laughs> well, dude, I, I'm serious, man. Like You guys do such a great job in being professional getting great content. You're not just like filling content or filling episodes with just your know, you know, words coming across the uh, microphone. So man, I, I appreciate everything that you guys are doing. And I, I, uh, I'm proud to be a part of it whenever you guys invite me on. So I wanted to do something to give back to you guys. 
Oh, I sure appreciate that. But I think if you listen to last week's show with Tyler Webster, you'd say that we were just filling content because <laughs> we talked about all kinds of random stuff and uh, we're known to do that from time to time too. And that's okay. But I appreciate you allowing our listeners to have that opportunity. I encourage people. I, we're, we're always trying to help people learn about their dogs, to work with their dogs, give them ammunition to help and gain that confidence. So if, if they um, want to learn more, I highly encourage them to do that. Seeing it is so much more powerful than me trying to babble my way into explaining it. You do a great job, Josh. I clearly have my shortcomings, but uh, I encourage people to check that out. And I think, you know, hopefully we can have you on once more before hunting season kicks in here. If time allows, I know you're busy and you've got other uh, podcasts that you do regularly as well. So um, if there are other podcasts that people could dive into to learn more about your information, where would they go? Yeah, for sure. So you can find me on Duck Dogs, D-U-K, Duck Dogs. Uh, so I do a podcast here that we talk about training of different hunting scenarios and situations. It's been a, a pretty fun one. Uh, and then we actually just recently came out with the Retriever Roadmap podcast which is about me bringing on actual members from the program. And we talk through different scenarios or different situations that people have, have run into and how they overcame it. And again, it's just one of those things that there's always something to learn from someone else's situation. So that's been a really fun one too. So the Retrieval Roadmap podcast, that's a public one. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find you know, your podcast. So uh, both Duck Dogs and Retrieval Roadmap podcast would be a good one. Right on. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate your time very much. Tell Whitney I say hi and hopefully you get to spend some time with your own dogs and your kids uh, and enjoy Thanks. the rest of your summer. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. You guys do the same thing and let's, let's for sure do that uh, before season. Uh, let's, let's get on here again. I'd love that. That sounds good. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. <laughs>